2: This is the Where We Live World Cup. Beep, beep, La Copa del Mundo di Dove Viviamo. For Connecticut Public Radio, I'm Frankie Graziano. The world is watching. And the AP reports 7.2 million Americans watch the World Cup opener. Live viewership on Fox was up 88% from the 2018 opener. That's what my producer Katie Pellico tells me. Christine Huber, a sports analyst who organizes local Team USA watch parties in the New Haven area, says she's observed an increase in local attention on the games. She and other local broadcaster Sean Meckie, a good friend of mine, join us in a moment to discuss and spotlight the teams and players to watch. Coming up, we'll also talk to someone who's actually at the World Cup. Right now on the line, we got NPR Sports correspondent Tom Goldman. He's going to join us from Qatar. And plus, Omid Namazi joins us, assistant coach for Connecticut's top pro soccer team, Hartford Athletic, and a former coach for Iran. More on that in a moment. First, my guests at this time. Sean Mechie and Christine Huber, thank you guys for joining us today on Where We Live.
1: Good morning. Glad to be here, Frankie. Good morning,
2: Sean. Hey, guys, if you're watching uh, at home or listening, excuse me, are you watching the World Cup? Who are you rooting for? You can join the conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hey, just quickly, before I get to questions, guys, a quick primer for the un- or semi-uninitiated. Where we're at now in the World Cup is the completion of the group stages. Groups of four teams play three games, so like Country W plays Country X first, and then Y and Z. There are eight groups. You get three points for a win, a point for a tie. Top two point scorers go to the knockout stages, which begin tomorrow, and that's where we find the U.S. men's national team in a matchup against European soccer power, the Netherlands. USA and the Netherlands, 10 a.m. Saturday. Christine, a second-place finish for the Americans in Group B. Talk to us about the USA in the group stages.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, they've been so much fun to watch. I mean, and everyone is just getting on board. They're going to watch parties. Everybody's tuning in. And like you said, the numbers and the viewership shows it.
2: Yeah, Sean, uh, the, the U.S. men's national team, they got the big goal when it counted in the big moment from big star Christian Pulisic, who insists that he didn't get hit below the belt uh, when it needed <laughs> it against Iran. We got a inventive play from Serginho Dest and Weston McKinney in the big one against England. And then there was the disappointing Welsh tie in the opener. What do you make of the U.S. men's national team thus far?
1: I, I think they've been kind of who we know that they are, but the best version of that Um, so, you know, we, we knew our midfield was exceptional going in the MMA midfield, as they call it, (laughs) Musa, McKinney and Adams. And I think they've really been smothering what the opponent has tried to do. Even if it's mighty England, I thought we looked the better in the midfield area. Um, we haven't scored a lot of goals, but we've also not conceded many, only one goal conceded and it was a penalty kick. So if you can keep the other team off the, off the score sheet, you've got a really good chance to win. Christine, what
2: do you make of the makeup of this team? Like I said, we have Serginio Dest and uh, Weston McKinney doing some of the playmaking. Strong play in the Iran game from the number ten there, Christian Pulisic. What do you what do you think about the team so far?
0: yo know, what's insane is how young they are. So last game they had the youngest starting lineup so far in the entire World Cup. Um, so that's just you know obviously awesome for the future and you're talking about players you know we got to give a hat off to the local guy Fairfield U player Matt Turner and goal has just really stepped up and like Sean said he's only let in one goal and it was a penalty kick
2: one goal for Team USA thus far Netherlands also allowing just one goal thus far Saturday, 10 a.m., a big game. Uh, where are you guys watching? Christine, where are you watching the game?
0: <laughs> well, I'm part of uh, New Haven American Outlaws, and that's the USA Supporters Group. We support you know, the men's team, the women's team, and we will all be at Trinity in New Haven on Orange Street. Last week, these past two weeks have just been crazy there. For the England game, they had to shut the doors 40 minutes prior to kickoff. So they're going to open at 9 a.m. tomorrow. So get there early, get your seat, and join in with the rest of America.
2: Who are the American Outlaws?
0: <laughs> they, are, they are the U.S. supporters group. So they organize, if you ever watch a game or you see it on TV and you hear people, the chants or the clapping in the background, that's all American Outlaws that, that set that up. So um, I've been around with the organization. I go to a bunch of different World Cups and, and always meet up with the guys from across the country.
2: Sean, you bleed red, white, and blue, but uh, I think you're like in a, in kind of like a different basket here. Like uh, you might be with the Hartford A.O. chapter. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes. Where'd you watch <laughs> that? Where'd you watch that Wales game?
1: So the Wales game actually uh, got together with a bunch of guys from my over thirty team in the the Farmington <laughs> Valley League. Uh, we actually went over to uh, T.J.'s in Newington and watched the game on the big screens there. So took took a half day off of work and made sure to, to make a real effort of it to sit down and watch the game uninterrupted.
2: This was different for you, but uh, but, but there are some, so many uh, American Outlaws chapters uh, in Connecticut. I, I, I visited with the Hartford folks in the, I believe it was the 2018 World Cup before they had that. Were you watching the game tomorrow, Sean?
1: You know, there's uh, some talk about different pubs around the area. I honestly think I might just watch it in the living room. That gives me a chance to really sit down and, and analyze and enjoy the game properly. Plus, very excited with my uh, seven-year-old son to get him involved and may- maybe not ready to take him to the bar with all the outlaws just yet. <laughs>
2: <laughs> outlaws, a bar, and a, and a seven-year-old. I don't know about that, but uh, but uh, nonetheless, the game uh, will be played tomorrow and it will be one to watch Hey, Christine, just more basically, the New York Magazine and a sports writer for the New York Magazine reported that more Americans watched the Women's World Cup final in 2019 than watched that year's NBA finals or the World Series. Do you feel like U.S. viewership is growing?
0: Oh, for sure. Sure the platforms are obviously helping uh the broadcasting is getting better for men's and women's game you know camera angles the production everything from top to bottom and i tell you you know i did a lot of work with the nwsl all their numbers were just outrageous you're talking angel city wanted their goal was the average attendance of 10,000 was their goal and they got around 20,000 and it's now the hot thing to do in la so Women's soccer is is on the rise, and it's just going to keep growing.
2: Yeah, Sean, that's what I'm. That's what that's what I'm thinking. Christine uh, teed that up for us. Well, the, the U.S. women's national team, I imagine, they have a big uh, role in America caring more about soccer.
1: Oh, without yeah. a doubt, you know, the, the the success of our women's program is is renowned across the world. Um, I think from a, a television ratings perspective, the men's World Cup. Has traditionally outdrawn the women's, but you know people love a winner, and our women's team has been so successful uh, that that I think it's brought a lot of fans in from both sides, not just the men's side but the women as well.
2: Goalkeeping strong in Connecticut, as I understand it. We had Matt Turner of uh, Team USA playing collegiate soccer in Connecticut at Fairfield University, and then we have our big star uh, on the women's team that's out of Stratford. Alyssa Nair, who played, uh, who plays now for the NWSL and the Chicago Red Stars, and you'll find Christine Huber doing a lot of these NWSL games. Hey, I want to, I want to talk more about the World Cup here. We'll, we'll talk some a little bit more about local soccer in a moment, but I want to drill into this World Cup and 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 talk about some of the games and the players here. Can you guys offer me a big surprise thus far from the the? Men's World Cup here, and 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 something that really surprised you. Uh,
1: I think the the biggest surprise that we've seen so far was Saudi Arabia beating Argentina. It was the one game that I didn't wake up at four forty five in the morning to catch the <laughs> five o'clock game live. The one time I decided to sleep in a little bit, I, I wake up and I tune in, and it's it's two to one in favor of Saudi Arabia, and they knock off Lionel Messi and crew. Uh, didn't end up working out for them to advance out of the group stage, but what a shocker that one was.
2: Yeah, we had uh, two big wins from Argentina to survive that because that was certainly, I think it was like 2001 or something like that, was uh, the favorites for Argentina in that matchup, and they end up losing. Christine, what's your big surprise thus far?
0: Mine is Germany uh, not advancing, and what's crazy about that is they're actually leading the World Cup in goals with 10, and yet they don't advance.
2: Yeah, four-time champions, just like Italia, four-time champions. But Germany actually made the World Cup, and they are out. That was maybe one of the games of the tournament. We can get into the games of the tournament in a second. But that, Germany playing Costa Rica with a, with a spot on the line in the Final 16 was a big one. Germany losing to Japan was a, was a big surprise in this one. For me, Morocco winning its group, that was, that was incredible, and it sets up for an amazing matchup with Spain in the final 16. So that's a that's what I'm talking about for a surprise. Match of the tournament thus far. Which one are you guys picking? You got a particular game you're watching here?
0: Oh, well, I mean it's obviously going to be tomorrow, right? Um, <laughs> but
2: beforehand, did you guys have a did you have one that you, you saw as a match of the tournament?
0: Well, the biggest one for me was obviously USA England. Um just because what goes on here, we have so many great English fans here in the states that you know, we did the whole slogan of, you know, hashtag it's called soccer and it's not called football. And obviously Beckham getting involved um, with the commercials and and everything. So I think England USA was probably pre-tournament. The highlight, Um, you know, it was a little bit of a chess match and not the most exciting soccer game to watch, but that was definitely a start on my paper.
1: Sean, what about you? And I I think the thing that's most exciting to me about the World Cup is seeing different teams from around the world have a chance to play each other in these super high stakes matches. And kind of a shocker favorite match for me so far was Cameroon, Serbia. Uh, I can't believe you said that. I didn't think you were going to say that. Go (laughs) ahead. The game ended 3-3, you know, Cameroon coming back from behind to, to, to equalize after being down two goals. Uh, just an absolutely exciting match. I mean, J- Japan has been great to watch. They've had a couple of thrilling, comfort behind victories as well. Um, so that—that's to me what what's been the most exciting match.
2: On my rundown, you won't see this, but I have uh, Serbia Cameroon six goals <laughs> in that matchup. That was so shocking. I was watching that uh getting ready with the kids uh, the other day. So surprised to see six goals in in a, ma- in a in a World Cup where we've unfortunately seen a lot of goalless uh, games. Hey, I wanted to talk more about stars just really quickly. I, I, can't, I can't really get into this because we don't have a lot of time, but give me a, a star really quickly that uh, you've enjoyed watching in this World Cup outside of the U.S. men's national team.
0: It's got to be Mbappe for France. Mm. I mean, he didn't play much last game because they benched all their starters, but France is definitely a powerhouse team right now.
2: Go ahead, Sean.
1: Yeah, Mbappe's been really exciting to watch. I think kind of the breakout star of the tournament is is someone that the U.S. is going to run up against tomorrow in Cody Mm. Gakbo, you know, plays for PSV Eindhoven in the Dutch Eredivisie. He was rumored before the tournament to be headed for a big money move. Uh, But I I heard Jesse Marsh from Leeds United give an interview basically saying they had agreed to terms with him prior to the tournament, but his stature in this event, you know, tying for the, the golden boot lead at the moment, Uh, has elevated his price tag so high that leads are no longer in the running to sign him.
2: Mbappe, uh, probably the best number 10 in the tournament thus far, so far from what we've seen. Hey, uh, before we close out this segment, we have two uh, different people. I'm not trying to put you guys against each other, but we got basically a Hartford area guy (laughs) in Sean, and a New Haven area person in Christine here. So just make the case here. What about, uh, what about, uh, I'll start with Sean here. Hartford Athletic has been a breath of fresh air in this area in terms of having a a pro soccer team, a top pro soccer team to watch. What do you think about our prospects going forward for soccer here in the Hartford area?
1: I think it's massive. It's it's been demonstrated over the the past five years uh, that people are embracing Hartford Athletic as a team. We already knew that the state of Connecticut and the, the Hartford DMA were a tremendous soccer market to begin with. Um, but, you know, to close out the season, I think the Athletic had something like eight or nine consecutive sellouts and uh, just a, a tremendous attendance throughout the year. And then the announcement of Taveramos Ramos as the coach and, and some of the excitement that that's drummed up. They've already had some big name signings in the offseason. Yeah. Uh, I think that the momentum is real and, and I think it'll continue.
2: And he's not messing around about that DMA Hartford in the top five among markets watching the England USA matchup. Incredible. And just a quick, and and New Haven's in that uh, demographic generally, Uh, Christine, what are your thoughts about pro soccer in New Haven and maybe an opportunity to get a big club there one day? Can you support it down there?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think so. You know, the big thing is with New Haven, it's such a melting pot. And what do people love in the world? They love soccer. So now you're bringing everybody together to support a local team. And again, what we're seeing now, you know, the ratings, everything's high up with Kind of not the best times right now in Qatar, like game game watching times. So now this is all going to lead up to 2026 World Cup when it's here.
2: From Connecticut Public Radio, this is where we live. I'm Frankie Graziano. You can hear these guys calling Yale University soccer and on other area soccer matches. Thank you to local soccer broadcasters Sean Mecky and Christine Huber. For joining us on Where We Live, you can join the conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
0: I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people.
1: It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health.
2: This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Frankie Graziano at this year's World Cup in Qatar. We've seen political tensions impacting the games and teams that fans root for. Here to discuss, Tom Goldman, a sports correspondent for NPR. He joins us right now from Qatar. That's right, Tom is covering the games for NPR in person. Welcome to Where We Live.
3: We don't get to talk soccer, Frankie.
2: Oh, we're going we're gonna to talk about soccer, but I, I got some business for you to take care of here. <laughs>
3: Christine, Christine and Sean had all the fun. Come oh, on, they man. They did.
2: They did. Well, 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 you know what? Let's, let's open up with, with, uh, with, with some fun and talking about soccer before we get into the hot and heavy issues we have to. But first, let me just say that folks can join in on a conversation. They can call 888-720-9677. Call us now, 888-720-9677. Tom. You heard us talk about that game that's happening tomorrow, that big game for the United States playing European soccer power, the Netherlands. And we can talk soccer because you've paid attention to some of these news conferences um, that are previewing the game. So, So what can you tell me about the Americans and what they're saying about this Dutch challenge?
3: Well... Um, it's a challenge. Of course, you never go into these uh, pre-tournament, uh, uh, pre-match uh, press conferences and say, you know, we got this one wrapped up, man. We, this is going to be so easy. No, the the very res- both teams are very respectful of the others, and um, you know, uh, the U.S. knows it's got its hands full with the Dutch team, ranked uh, eighth in the world, uh, finished first in its group. Although people who watched the Dutch closely said eh, they were. of sluggish apparently it is a sport it it, it is a pastime in the netherlands like many soccer crazy countries to criticize the coach and the team constantly and so there's been nothing but criticism um coming out of the netherlands about the boring uh play of the netherlands and how they just you know kind of have underachieved uh while they've been winning their group um i think that's dangerous to say and i think it's going to fuel them and uh they're, they're, they're a very, they're a very tough team. You know, um, Sean talked about uh, Cody, Cody Gakpo, uh, or as the Dutch say, Hugpo, as I learned today, and, um, you know, he's tough. There are a number of other players who are very good. Louis van Gaal is probably the superstar of that team, and he's their coach, a uh, very funny guy. And uh, actually what was interesting in his, um, his part of the press conference today, he spent most of the time fielding questions about after this World Cup, whether he'll take over uh, Belgium, uh, Belgium's national team, uh, because they have a vacancy now after they crashed out of the World Cup. Uh, But what the U.S., probably the most important thing the U.S. said, uh, Coach Greg Berhalter, is that Christian Pulisic looks pretty good. And he's probably a go for tomorrow. Listeners who love soccer probably know all about the pelvic contusion he suffered uh, in that amazing. That's a nice way to put it. Yeah, right, right. And by amazing goal, I mean a three-part goal. That beautiful over-the-top pass by Wes McKinney, Sergio Des with a header uh, to a streaking pulisic who put it in and crashed into the Iranian goalkeeper at the same time and was down, uh, as everyone saw. Um, he's been mending, and um, it, it really looks like uh, he's gonna he's uh, he's a go. Josh Sargent, the other guy injured in in that match. Uh, uh, looked like an, uh, I believe it was an ankle injury, they were saying. Um, according to Greg Ber- Berhalter, he's not so sure about him. So uh, that that's the injury update. Um, the U.S. is just Sky high, Frankie, because the pressure is off. The pressure is really off after getting out of the group stage. That was that was going to be a forum, as you know, on how this team, you know, what validation basically of of um, the last four years, and they got it. And so now that they're in into the uh, into the knockout round, they just I think they feel loose. They feel like um, you know just going to take it minute by minute, as they say, and we will see what happens. With that defense, they've got to be respected. And if they can start putting the ball in the goal a little more consistently, who knows?
2: You brought up Christian Pulisic. And speaking of loose, Americans have such a fascination with potty stuff. Uh, we like when Lamar Jackson has to go to the bathroom during NFL games or something <laughs> like that. We're talking about Christian Pulisic and whether or not he got it below the belt. Could you just uh, close the loop on that with this pelvic contusion and how he's doing?
3: Can I can I say that on Connecticut Public Radio? You said pelvic contusion,
2: it? pelvic contusion. Yeah, yeah, I think, but yeah. Can
3: I say what? Can I say what he said?
2: Uh, yeah, the, yeah. Go ahead. Just, uh, just uh, censor that last word.
3: Uh, he said he didn't get hit in the bleep. You know, so (laughs) I mean, (laughs) look, everyone's saying it, everyone's writing it. I think NPR is the only one that's not saying it, but he didn't get hit in the testicles. Let's just say that, Frankie. We won't use the yeah. Beautiful. So uh, yeah. So this is this is the kind of
2: analysis we go to Tom Goldman for.
3: Look, not that, that that matters at all. Um, he really did get, get a pelvic bone contusion. Very, very painful. Uh, but as I said, uh, according to Coach Greg Berhalter, he's looking pretty good for tomorrow.
2: Pulisic had that goal against Iran, the goal that lifted the U.S. men's national team into the knockout stages. USA and Iran. We're going to start to get tight and tense here, Tom. I mean, you got countries going up against one another in the World Cup. Nationalism high. Tensions become high when countries facing one another happen to be geopolitical rivals. And Tom Goldman happens to be at that game. What was that like?
3: Uh, the, the Iran-U.S. game? Yes. Uh, amazing. It was amazing. As As I have said before about that match, Um, It was at a stadium with uh, Alfumama that holds uh, the the attendance that night was 42,000. I had been to the Mexico-Argentina match where Messi basically saved Argentina's bacon, shall we say, uh, with his amazing goal. And then, of course, they tacked on another. That was a must win. There were nearly 90,000 people. That is so many people, Frankie. But... The 42,000 at the Iran-USA match were louder. It was so amazing. There was so much buildup, both soccer buildup and political buildup. And it was just, oh, my God, a din that, well, as I mentioned on the air before, I could not hear myself talk. I I was saying words. I could not hear myself talk. It, It was incredible. And that lasted for about five minutes until everyone's adrenaline just kind of, you know, plummeted, and uh, uh, but you know the excitement was there the entire match. It it really was amazing, and um, and we never saw. You know, there was a lot of concern about oh, you know, the clashes between fans between Iranian fans who had brought the troubles in Iran across the Gulf to Qatar, and uh, you had Iranian fans who were against the government, which is cracking down on protesters. I'm sure as your listeners know, and you had pro-government people and they had clashed before the Wales match, the Iran-Wales match. And so there was concern, will that bubble up even more um, at the U.S.-Iran? And then you had U.S. Soccer Federation throwing gasoline on the fire Mm -hmm. with their, you know, of course, with the doctoring of the Iranian flag on social media as a way to support the protest movement in Iran. But it, kind of backfired. It did it without the team's knowledge and the team had to spend its press conference before that match answering all the questions is very uncomfortable time. Um, but anyway, so we were expecting everything. Um, and it was, you know, as always, when you expect a lot, it doesn't happen, and it really didn't. I walked around the stadium for about ninety minutes beforehand, looking for flashpoints. All I saw were American and Iranian fans hugging, trying to outshout each other, waving flags. God, I it was love all, soccer. It's all good. <laughs> yeah.
2: But that's yeah. a, and that's the thing. I mean, like we we we're trying to have fun with uh, with the show and talk about the the actual game and and things like that. But there's just a a dark, dark part of soccer that people just don't understand in America. They may not, uh, unless you watch a documentary. We've heard about what happened to Andres Escobar in in uh, yeah. in, in in Colombia, and now I, uh, this is why I want to focus on on Iran because we're talking about USA and maybe the pressure being off against the Netherlands. But when Iran plays soccer, there's just a different kind of pressure on them. Before uh, opening kickoff, we had the Tensions over treatment of women in Iran boiling over. A Kurdish woman died in Iranian uh, police custody in September, igniting protests across Iran over the fall. Uh, How, in your opinion, I I know you did a story on this, how have the, not in your opinion, but how have the Iranian uh, players been impacted by these rising tensions at
3: home? It was really tough, Frankie, and I felt really bad, bad for them. You know, ultimately, these guys and they, all the teams, all the teams in this World Cup have been asked about politics and certainly the issues in in Qatar that that got a lot of publicity before the tournament began and a little bit when it when it started and as as gone along. But the Iranians, as I mentioned, were you know were dealing with the the real sad and tragic things that are going on in their country, and you know, of course. Americans were really happy about winning that match, but the, the Iranian sadness at the end of that match players, you know, crumpled on the field and looking stunned or crying. You just knew that this was just more than, than having lost a soccer match. They had been through so much, you know, they had on the one hand before the match against England, they had not sung the national Anthem, uh, uh while it played and, uh, And apparently were visited, according to a CNN report, they were visited by the Iranian Revolutionary Guard saying, don't do that anymore uh, or your families back in Iran will pay for that. And so you saw in the next two matches against Wales and the U.S., um, the Iranians mouthing some of them barely mouthing the words I think they really didn't want to do this and they you know they became a symbol of of the fight and these are young guys who just wanted to play football and um and it was difficult for them and I think at the end what you saw was um the disappointment the sadness that they weren't able to win and they weren't able to use football to elevate them uh, over all this other stuff that it that had uh crowded in on their world cup
2: They lose the big match, and then they got to go home afterwards and deal with whatever consequences there are. Iran is an Islamic republic. Qatar is an Islamic nation. And, Tom, homosexuality is forbidden in Qatar, which brings us to the next controversy here, the erasure of imagery that supports the LGBTQ community at the World Cup. One particular item, an armband. What's the significance of that symbol?
3: Well, the armband, a number of European countries had said that they were gonna wear the armband, a rainbow-colored armband with the word words One Love written on it um, as a show of support for the LGBTQ communities, for diversity. And um, one of the big kerfuffles at the beginning of this uh, World Cup was the the hammer came down, and um, and and they were told by FIFA the these European captains who are going to wear this armband that if they do, then they faced uh, a yellow card at the beginning uh, of the match, and so the teams uh, backed away. And they said, you know, we we support these things. We're angered by this, but we don't want to put our teams at risk. By you know, if if our captains get another yellow, then then they're out. Um, you know, a lot of people said that was um, kind of a cowardly stance to make. They said, look, you have the uh, you are the players. You have the ultimate leverage here. And if you forced a moment, if Harry Kane of Of the three lions went on the field with a rainbow colored armband with one love on it and forced a referee to raise a yellow card. Just think. What position that would put FIFA in? How embarrassing that would have been! Um, but the players, uh, the, t- the the teams um, backed away, and so and so there you have it. Um, you know, since since that all happened, um, I think it was at the beginning of this week. The news was that actually FIFA had finally gotten around to relaxing its rule on rainbow colored, um, you know, paraphernalia, whether it be um, well, not armbands for fans, but for hats. T-shirts, flags, and so on. Imagine so that. at this at this point, you know, that seems to have died down. Although when this whole thing ends, it's still going to be incredibly difficult, as you said, illegal if you uh, are a member of the LGBTQ community in this country. Um, I talked to someone who has talked to members of that community here, and they are all closeted. And this won't change anything, certainly. Um, And so, yeah, a sad situation. It got it it had this publicity. But, you know, probably when everyone leaves, um, things will remain the same.
2: Tom, the head of the international governing body of soccer, FIFA, said to reporters right before the World Cup started, I feel gay. That was part of an attempt by FIFA president Johnny Infantino to make all feel welcome. But I'm imagining that's not the case. I want to talk more about this we just don't have a lot of time we only got about a minute left and we have to talk about this is the way our our conversation kind of ebbed and flowed this is going to be the most important topic maybe and uh, we don't get to spend too much time on it but migrant workers a qatadi official says that four to five hundred people died in the run-up to the world cup helping build the infrastructure to support the tournament tom they had to build seven of the eight stadiums uh, from scratch essentially and all the other infrastructure to support it. And now we're hearing that many people died to do that.
3: Which was quite an admission, Frankie, because up to then, uh, Qatari officials said that three people had died uh, related uh, to the work conditions. This remains an issue, too, that will go on. Rights groups are passionate about keeping the attention on this um, there have been reforms. There have been labor reforms in uh, in Qatar, including a minimum wage that they've, um, that they've installed. Uh, they got rid of the kafala system, which was a system where employees were tied way too tightly to employers and they were abused through that system. But rights groups say that, um, you know, there's still a lot of work to do and that uh, the reforms aren't necessarily enforced that strictly. So another one of these issues that we talk about pre-World Cup, during the World Cup. Who knows what will happen when the World Cup packs up its tent and leaves after December 18th.
2: And it could be thousands that uh, had died when, when uh, maybe a, a different number comes out. Uh, this is Where We Live for Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Frankie Graziano. Tom Goldman in Qatar, the legendary Tom Goldman, helping <laughs> us out covering this World Cup from there for NPR. Thank you for joining us here on Where We Live.
3: It was great fun. Thanks, Frankie.
2: You can join the conversation 888-720-9677, 888-720-WNPR. This is where we live for Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Frankie Graziano. In America, we have what's called the United States soccer system, a pyramid, so to speak, topped by Major League Soccer. But right underneath that, in the second level, you'll find Connecticut's top pro soccer club, Hartford Athletic, playing in the USL Championship. In 2023, Athletic will play its fifth season They play their games in an up-to-date Dillon Stadium near 91 and the Colt Onion Dome. It's a 5,500-seat stadium called Trinity Health Stadium that's also home to the state high school soccer championships. Joining us now representing Athletic is the team's assistant coach and director of scouting, Omid Namazi. Hello, Omid.
4: Good morning. Um, Pleasure to be here on your
2: program. Thank you for coming in this morning, and uh, if you got a question about athletic or want to talk about local soccer right now, you can join the conversation, 888-720-9677, 888-720-WNPR. Omid, I want to talk to you about athletics place atop the local soccer landscape. I want to talk to you about athletic, but first, the game on everyone's minds at the moment is the FIFA World Cup, the big game in town Back in 2014, you helped Iran qualify for the World Cup as an assistant. You worked on that squad with a man you work with now at Athletic, Glastonbury native and CT soccer legend Dan Gaspar. But Omid, I want to start this interview with you asking about Iran because perhaps more than anyone at this World Cup, it's a team of players having to play through controversy on the home front. What are your thoughts on what the players are going through at the moment?
4: Well, I mean, uh, I really felt, sorry for the players they were placed in a very uh precarious position there's a lot of pressure um on them from both sides you know people in iran that are protesting and you see um you know videos and clips of it shown every night on on different uh, news channels uh they wanted these players to stand by them and and make a or uh, come up with a symbol uh, as to what's going on back home. The players initially refused to do that. Um, they wanted to concentrate on the World Cup and what the task at hand was. And, um, you know, in the first couple press conferences by the players, questions were asked and they said, we, we're we not here to talk about politics. We're here to concentrate on, on the World Cup. And that did not sit well with the people in Iran. Um, So they were getting a lot of pressure in social media and different avenues about not standing with their people. At the same time, they had a lot of pressure uh, from, obviously, people that are connected to the government uh, in order not to say anything publicly about what's going on in the country. So they were getting this pressure from both sides, and they were caught in between. And you saw signs of it. You know, in the first game, they decided not to sing the national anthem because they were feeling that pressure from people uh, back home. And then, you know, you saw in the second second uh, game, they sort of mouthed or lipped this national anthem without really wanting to sing it. So you see how uh, bad of a situation they were put in. And that's the mental part that I feel that they were dealing with the whole time.
2: CNN reported recently that players could face retribution for not singing the republic's national anthem prior to its World Cup opener, do you worry about the players, Omid?
4: I mean, you know, I, I felt at the beginning, if as a group, you know, twenty six players, they had come out and they made a statement about, hey, we stand with our people. I don't think anything could have been done, it, you know, against them or you know any retributions when they go back home but they, they didn't do that. So uh, now they're getting pressure from people. um, And then, you know, they, they sort of went with what they were told to do during the world cup. So um, I I don't see, I don't see anything happening to any of the players. There's one particular player, Sardar Osmond, who even in the last game didn't sing the national anthem. I worry about him a little bit, but He's a very well-known figure, very popular figure. And um, the government, as brutal as they are um, back then, back in Iran right now, I don't think they can touch people like that. You know, some of the lesser-known people, and we've seen some athletes voice their opinions about what's going on, and they've been arrested, they've been um, possibly tortured. But, you know, uh, these these bigger figures, I don't think they can touch them.
2: Prior to the uh, big match with the U.S. men's national team, we saw on an American social media channel channel an altered Iranian uh, flag. Iran saying the modified flag saw the Americans remove the Allah symbol. Can you just give us some perspective on what this might have meant to players, maybe not just the players, but Iranians as a whole when this happens and they see the flag in this way?
4: I can tell you uh, the the, the people that that are living – on the streets in iran and and protesting um i can assure you they were ecstatic about the move uh to remove that symbol in the, the flag um but obviously that not did not sit well with the government and and obviously the iranian federation um so you have this this um you know uh feeling of you know, elation and uh, the fact that the U.S. is standing behind the people and at the same time, the government is constantly um, trying to suppress uh, those feelings. What's
2: your perspective on uh, on seeing such a outcry from the public and seeing public protests against the government here? And, and we've seen the last couple of months after the death of Masha Amini
4: yeah my personal feelings uh, I'm with with my people. you know, I was born and raised here, but obviously both my parents are from Iran and I've lived in Iran for many years and worked there. and I know I've seen it in, in with my own eyes what what goes on in Iran. So um, I empathize with the people in Iran and and I feel like after 43 years of this regime and and the oppressive ways of this regime, it's time for a change.
2: U.S. Men's National Team and Iran play the big game. The U.S. Men's National Team triumphs one 0 but I want to take you back to about the ninety-sixth or ninety-seventh minute. Mehdi Terami there in the ninety-seventh minute, getting maybe pulled down in the box, or uh, or or there was some incidental contact. Ultimately, the replay review stands with the a clean play. Where was your heart uh, at this moment? You have the UN's men, U.S. men's national team going against Iran and a potential for a big tying goal that could help Iran. Where, 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 where were you at this time?
4: Yeah, usually uh, uh, my my feelings would be co- conflicted. You know, uh, it, it's tough. Uh, I've grown up here, worked with a lot of these players that uh, that are playing on the national team when I was coach of the uh, U18 and, and assisting tab with the U20s. So, um you know you could see how my feelings could be you know uh, one minute here and one minute there but this time there was no there was no conflict i i wanted to i wanted the u.s to win i was pulling for the boys to uh to pull through and obviously in those um finishing moments of, of the game i was on, on my toes uh i was jumping up and down but uh the, you know the, you know Gladly, uh, our boys were able to pull through and and get the win and get through the group.
2: You just mentioned Tab Ramos. Uh, Be uh, this is a guy that you're talking to a lot. He's the coach of Hartford Athletic, and Dan Gaspar and Omid Namazi. These are some some big he- big uh, big names here with Hartford Athletic. What what are you thinking about uh, about the organization and the structure that uh, you all have put together to put a soccer team on the pitch here at Trinity Health Stadium?
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, a few months back, uh, Ray Reed, who and Ray uh, Reed, look at me forgetting Ray Reed, the uh, legendary UConn coach. Yeah, you can't, you can't forget Ray. Ray was <laughs> hired here to be the uh, technical director. Um, he took over the coaching reins for for a little bit, and he he will tell you he did he did not come in here to coach the team. Um so once yeah a few games went by he started to search for for the new head coach and um as he says you know the first name that came to his mind was Tab and um and he pursued Tab and I know uh because I talked to Tab constantly you know uh a few times a week I was in Houston and he was in New Jersey uh but we communicated and I know how Ray was you know, very persuasive in, in trying to get tab here and, and coaching the Hartford athletic. And, and even though, you know, uh, tab, you know, obviously as a player has, has done everything that, uh, a player can do, you know, having played in three world cups, uh, played at, you know, one of the, one of the first players that went overseas and had had success playing in, in, um, Mexico and in Europe, but then also as a coach, you know, he, um, he was uh the uh, youth technical director for uh many years uh, working with US soccer and he instituted a lot of good practices in in um in what we did and i'm talking about we as uh you know some of the youth coaches with the, with the national teams um he instituted a lot of good practices and and really took that program to the next level and you see a lot of that that work coming through uh you know Uh, with the with the players they're playing right now for the national team um so uh raise persuasion i guess uh came to a head and um tab accepted the job um immediately tab reached out to me he said uh you know I, i need you to be here with me and and we can do this this together and that's how i ended up here uh obviously we have Big goals, um, the expectations are high. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the franchise uh, and the ownership has gone out of their way to make sure that they put the best staff together. And, you know, the hiring of Tab, myself, Dan Gaspar, is the, the, uh, the uh, head of the goalkeepers and the goalkeeper coach, and then Ray Reed, obviously, you know, the legendary coach um, here in yep. Connecticut, uh, being the technical director. I, I don't think you'll find a better staff around Anywhere in the country, whether it's MLS or USL, so a um, lot of commitment on the on the uh, on the franchise side, on on the, on the uh, ownership side. With that comes a lot of expectation, and we uh, we know that we wanna we wanna try to put the best team together for next year, and we wanna win now.
2: Ray Reed um, won so. a national championship at UConn, putting UConn soccer exactly. on the on the map, and then the, the you know Tab Ramos when he came. To back to America to play soccer and played for the Metro Stars. Uh, that was a big moment for Major League Soccer uh, back in the in the nineties. You know, like these are these are some big names as you mentioned. And then uh, we have you as the uh, scouting director and an assistant coach. Can you just kind of tell me how you fit into all this? This great uh, soccer nucleus that you guys have put together here in Hartford.
4: Yeah, obviously my my first role is a, is an assistant coach. Uh, so you know, trying to. Uh, you know, prepare the team. Uh, take them through training sessions. Being, uh, you know, a a crutch for for tab and, and everything that we do in order to uh, to get the team prepared. Whether it's from preseason and and all the way through preseason, and then once we get into the season and every day in training sessions. Um, but also, uh, I I have another role and that's uh, head of scouting. And, and you know, we're uh, we're putting together. Um, a good um, depth chart of players around the country that uh, we feel that could come in and help us out. Obviously we're not going to get every single player that we put our fingers on, but um, we're hard at work trying to put the best squad together for, for the upcoming season, which will be um, March of 2023.
2: I got just about a, a couple minutes left. So we got to get through this last question or two very quickly here. Um just uh just looking at uh the closing up 2022 finishing 10th in the Eastern Conference I imagine it wasn't a season that you guys wanted to have
4: no I mean obviously uh you know even though we're we're new franchise uh just in, it's in an infancy but you know again the expectations are we need to be a playoff team first and foremost and then from there you know content contend for a championship and uh that's why someone like tab was brought in that's why some of the other guys that we've been talking about uh have been brought in and you know uh our goal is to put some put a team together that's a playoff team and yeah. um you know we're uh we're we're trying to put the pieces to that puzzle together as we speak six players
2: on the team thus far as i understand it what do you think about 2023
4: I my hopes. Uh I mean you, you only see the six players that we've signed. There's a lot of work that mm. uh that's going on in the background and we have a lot of good players, players that will be committed to winning here in Hartford on the hook. And we're constantly talking and negotiating with them. And I think the finished product will be something that the people in Hartford will be proud of.
2: Thank you so much for joining us, Omid Namazi, talking about Hartford Athletic, who you can see at Trinity Health Stadium in Hartford. Thank you for joining us today, Omid.
4: You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
2: I'm Frankie Graziano. Today's show produced by the great Katie Pellico, our technical producer, Kat Pastor. Hey, download Where We Live anytime on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening to the World Cup Where We Live. Take care.